the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You consideration about maybe even allowing the Ukraine into NATO. Russia certainly sees that as a threat. It's also a midterm election year. And as they have done in the past, the ability to try and somehow influence American elections, either directly through manipulation of social media or from afar, well, that certainly is to the benefit of Putin. I'm sure that he would prefer a scenario that was far more predisposed towards letting him, meaning Putin, do whatever he wants. So clearly there's a number of major issues at play here. And whether or not right now the world, frankly, really needs another war, probably not. We'll talk about that. Educator, constitutional lawyer, and author Joe Murray joins us a little bit later on in this hour as we try to sort of unpack and pull back the layers of that onion. But we begin tonight with a story out of Finland, demonstrative of the direction in which Europe has been heading for many decades now, and sadly perhaps our own nation, and that is increased hostility towards people of faith and an ever-increasing threat towards freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Let's find out what's going on in Finland this time as we're joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Counselor, as always, a privilege to have you join us on the program. I understand that there is a Christian politician in Finland who coincidentally is married to a pastor um, who has publicly shared her beliefs from a biblical perspective on marriage and sexuality. No big deal there. But apparently to British, I'm sorry, to um, Finlandian Parliament, they have an issue with the exercise of freedom of speech and freedom of religion in Finland, so much so that recently this member of Parliament was interrogated by police for 13 hours related not to some heinous crime, but simply how she interprets Scripture. It's pretty shocking. Most people, I think, would walk away with the impression that there was freedom of religion and freedom of speech in Finland, but apparently not so. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, this member of parliament, uh, Payavi uh, Rasanen, uh, she is uh, a committed Christian, and uh, she sent out this tweet uh, talking about uh, what you know the Apostle Paul wrote in, in the Bible with regards to, uh, to marriage. And because of that, as you pointed out, she was interrogated by the police over 13 hours, uh, you know, she analogized this to uh, what it was, you know, would be like to live in the former Soviet Union. Um, you know, she she didn't make any statements encouraging violence or harassment uh, to anyone or any group. Uh, she was talking her, about her Christian beliefs and what the Bible says. Uh, she authored a, a 2004 booklet on sexual ethics uh, describing marriage between one man and one woman. Uh, she's also expressed her views on a 2019 radio show and tweeted church leadership on the matter. 
Uh, she's very educated, very articulate, uh, committed to her Christian faith, and because of that, uh, she is uh, being interrogated uh, and is facing uh, prosecution, potential prosecution, uh, because of her expressing what the Bible says and her Christian faith. So, uh, forgive me, Counselor, it's been years since I've been to Helsinki. Um, I, I have nothing but very pleasant memories of my visits there. I, I do not recall Finland as being a country that stomped upon religious freedom and freedom of speech. Uh, apparently that that has changed or, or was the case, and I just simply wasn't aware of it. But this is beginning to kind of feel like some of the regulations that are in place in countries that we have known and have relationships with and have known to be generally, quote-unquote, democratic societies such as Canada and Great Britain that have pretty draconian rules when it comes to freedom of expression and freedom of religion. There seems to be some hypervigilance that if you dare say something that might run contrary to what somebody else thinks on a religious standpoint, that you can run afoul of the law. Is that similar to what's going on here? Does not the people of Finland enjoy true religious freedom? It would appear from the surface from this story, apparently not. Well, apparently they don't. And unfortunately, Craig, uh, this is not alone. Uh, We've seen reports like this, uh, similar to this coming out in in other countries, you know, we know of a pastor up in Canada that was being criminally prosecuted for a sermon he gave uh, on the issue of sexuality and, and what the Bible says about marriage. Uh, we see uh, harassment of other pastors and others uh, in other countries, uh, often developed countries, uh, being harassed. Uh, you know, this, and she's not, this isn't just even just harassment. She's been charged with three counts of, quote, ethnic agitation over her statements expressing her beliefs about human sexuality and marriage. Three counts. She's being treated uh, like a criminal. Uh, she said that the police asked her to renounce her writings, um, and she refused, uh, because this is what she believes as a Christian, uh, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says multiple times in Old Testament and New Testament with regards to, to marriage and fidelity, etc. So uh, this is... Um, Unfortunately, I believe it's, it's a trend, but it's something that we must contest, because uh, if, if religious, religious freedom is conditional on whether or not society agrees with it, then we don't have religious freedom. And that's why it's so important that, that uh, we uh, pay attention to people like her who are right now facing criminal prosecution. Well, ironically, secular society, no matter what the country, uh, seldom, if ever, is in uh, you know lockstep agreement with religious teachings. And I guess in part that's, uh, that's the reason why the religious teachings are necessary in an effort to try and provide some uh, you know, foundation for morality and public behavior and, and things of this sort. And, and, and certainly from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, to be in line with God's Word, uh, it, it's very troubling to see this be the case. And, you know, historically, traditionally, we think of um, countries that run afoul of religious freedom to be nations that are uniquely communistic. Uh, this has been the case in places like certainly communist China, communist Vietnam, North Korea. Uh, in the Muslim world, uh, a combination of both institutionalized um, discrimination, meaning coming from the government, as well as from a religious and societal um, pressure standpoint, because those are, of course, predominantly 
Muslim or Islamic countries. But to hear this coming from a nation that is known persecution, I mean, they, they, they know what it's like. They lived under the tyranny of, of Stalinism when they were invaded uh, by Russia in the 1940s. One would think that they would know better, but apparently not so. Has there been, to your knowledge, any movement in response to this by either the United Nations or even the United States? I know that we have a Commission on International Religious Freedom that every year issues a report talking about uh, troubling trends in countries and sort of the hot spots, the danger spots to religious freedom across the globe. Uh, it would be shocking to think, but apparently we need to maybe give some consideration to adding Finland to that list, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I can tell you, we at Pacific Justice Institute uh, defend uh, people like her seeking religious asylum uh, when their countries are overtly persecuting them specifically because of their faith. That's exactly what she's going through. We've defended people. Usually they're from communist countries. Uh, Christians are Jews from communist countries or from radical Muslim countries. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more of our cases uh, dealing with people from countries like Finland. And uh, that's a shame, but we stand ready to do so. Uh, when the opportunity arises. Well, um, you know, it, it's a case for folks to be uh, praying for. Um, Paivi Rasnan, it's a difficult name to pronounce. Finnish is a difficult language unless it's your primary language. Uh, but be in prayer for this member of the Finnish parliament. Uh, 13 hours in interrogation. 13 hours? Really? I mean, we have murder investigations in the United States that invest less time by the police doing interrogation than that. It's just remarkable that they would head in this direction. And and you've got to think that this kind of um, persecution and prosecution should not be taking place in civilized countries. But then again, these days in the postmodern world in which we live, uh, maybe the definition of civility is changing and changing quite drastically. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. As always, Counselor, we appreciate your time. Information available for listeners on the web. Check out pacificjustice.org, pacificjustice.org. It's important that we take a stand. We bring you these stories to inform you, educate you, alert you, and then encourage you that this matter of being salt and light is something that we've got to start taking more seriously. Because if we don't, we're going to wake up in a country one day, and I fear that it's soon, that we just simply won't recognize. 517 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. Boy, a raucous day today on Wall Street again. I mean, we, we, we ended um, in positive territory, but not by much. Thankfully, the Dow pulled off a comeback, rebounding after it had been down by 800 points earlier in the session. And, of course, part of this has to do with inflation, interest rate jitters, and a uh, little thing about the activity going on in the Ukraine. Now, what exactly is that all about? Why do we have this interest by Russia, uh, more specifically Vladimir Putin, in the Ukraine? Of course, the Ukraine at one point 
um, had been annexed by the former Soviet Union. It was considered for decades to be the so-called breadbasket of the Soviet Union. It's the second largest country within that continent and has been historically vital to um, Russia, the Soviet Union, for many reasons. So is some of this back in the uh, crosshairs of Putin that he wants to have his breadbasket back? What exactly is going on behind the scenes? Well, we're going to pull back the layers of this onion and get some insights as we are joined by Attorney, educator, best-selling author, Joe Murray. Joe, by the way, is the author of a new book called Take Back Education. We've talked about it a couple of times here on the program. If you want to get some real insights as to how um, general education, government education has gone astray, and most importantly, where, how, and why we need to be engaged in taking back public education, then I invite you to check out his new book, Take Back Education. It's bookstores and uh, easily through Amazon.com. That's the easiest way to get it. Just check them out. Look for Take Back Education by Joe Murray at Amazon.com. Okay, with the prop- the shameless <laughs> propaganda out of the way at the very start, uh, Joe, I feel like we need to follow that up by a, a couple of tunes by uh, uh, Tom Jones, but we'll hold off on that for the moment. Let's instead go, <laughs> go, go to the heart of what is going on. So 100,000 troops amassed along the Russian-Ukrainian border, and there's this game of cat and mouse now going on between seemingly not just the Ukraine and Russia, but Russia and the United States, or Russia and the West. Help us better understand exactly what is this guy up to. Well, I think Putin's now going to be releasing a book called Take Back Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) Which we will, by the way, not help promote in any form, fashion whatsoever. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, uh, you kind of started and and you had a great summary synopsis of all this. Uh, A lot of this stems from the belief that uh, Putin is trying to recapture the glory days of the old Soviet, not necessarily the communist-style government, but the idea that the Soviet Union was a, a, a leader, it was a, a uh, country to be envied and to look up to, and it was a powerhouse. The other part goes back to what we can call from, it's been part of Russian history from the times of Napoleon, which is Russia is always nervous about the West. Uh, they got hit with Napoleon, they got hit with Hitler, they've always wanted to have a buffer zone between themselves and the West just so they would not have gotten invaded again. And this, the origins of this, as much as I'd like to lay it on the feet of Joe Biden, because there's plenty that we can lay at the feet of Joe Biden, uh, I think the origins of this, it goes back to Bill Clinton, when we automatically started pushing NATO on Russia's doorstep. And and I think this is a response to that, uh, with with the potential of membership for more countries, of more old Soviet bloc countries that's going to NATO, I think what Putin is trying to send a message to the West saying, and this is only one part of it, but the biggest part is, look, I don't want you on my doorstep anymore. You know, first of all, I don't trust NATO. I don't like NATO. 
And second of all, I don't trust the West. And we have very reason not to trust him as well. But I think geopolitically speaking and historically speaking, this has always been an issue with the Russians. They look at when, when you know, Boris Yeltsin was kind of in the streets and the Soviet Union was coming down, we automatically gave uh, NATO and membership to Lithuania, Latvia, and, and Estonia and uh, got them in there kind of when Russia was kind of limping and was in a vulnerable spot. Uh, it, it, it kind of smarted with them. And, and I think this is the point where we have to say, okay, was it worth it? Is NATO worth potentially another movement? That, well, great, we haven't seen this amount of troops on the uh, amassed in, in Europe since World War II. I think even Joe Biden said that today while he was out shopping for Ruth Bader Ginsburg shirts. <laughs> but, and getting ice cream, of course. But this is what we have to ask ourselves, and this has been the biggest problem with U.S. foreign policy. We are operating in a Cold War era, even though the Cold War is over. So the reason we have Ukraine partly is due to NATO, and I know they're preparing a NATO response, but I'm not saying that we get rid of NATO, but we have to start reimagining NATO and saying, look, is it necessary as the way it was created? Because the way it was created was to, to basically protect the world from the communist threat that was a very real threat, but that is no longer our main threat anymore. So are we willing to to go to bat and potentially have a major, if not one of the bloodiest battles that we could ever see, bloodiest wars, over Ukraine, over whose flag flies in Kiev. I don't think that's a vital U.S. national interest, and I don't think we even have to get there, but for the fact that we've had this very hawkish, interventionist foreign policy that has transcended presidents. It was Clinton, it was Bush, it was Obama, and, and now it looks to be Biden. Well, I, you know, I think what's problematic about this is um, that it's not just maybe a, a sense of, uh, you know, uh, Putin feeling threatened. There's been talk about bringing Ukraine into NATO. Um, clearly, Putin knows the history that NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was created post-World War II to essentially try to create a, a buffer zone, as it were, or a, 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 a an alliance of Eastern, largely Eastern European nations that would would help to stave off um, any of the further designs uh, by then Stalin of progressing westward. And he had, you know, then the, the reasons behind NATO were were very valid ones at the time. I don't know at a level that they've necessarily changed. I mean, you know, wouldn't Putin like to get credit and go down in world history as the man who reassembled the former Soviet Union and all of its greatness? I think one of the issues oh. per, potentially at play here is that I I don't believe that it's strictly uh, you know, well, there's a big uh, access to uh, not only farmland, the Ukraine, as I said in my opening remarks, once having been considered the Soviet Union's breadbasket. There's also oil reserves that are available there, too. But I wonder also, is there any sense in your mind, Joe, that um, Putin may be feeling a bit threatened because if he has the second largest country on the continent as an independent um, NATO participating, um, you know, essentially successful, prosperous, independent Ukraine, doesn't that potentially also 
pose a threat to his autocratic rule? I mean, let's face it, um, if, if the Ukrainians are happy and doing well, it's not difficult for their neighbors, the Russians, to say, wait a minute, what's going on there and how come life is better over there than it is over here? I mean, that could potentially throw um, a little bit of a threat to Putin's um, stronghold on Russia. I mean, let me use it just as, as a way of establishing how I draw that conclusion. 2014, the Ukrainians booted a pro-Russian leader from um, the president's palace. And in response to that, Putin came in and invaded the Crimean Peninsula. And I think there's concern here that not only does he want to keep um, Ukraine pro-Russia versus pro-Europe, he certainly wants to keep Ukraine out of NATO and the EU. And I think, quite frankly, part of this design is he is just... He can. He wants to rebuild the old Soviet Union in a fashion so strong that he can taste it. Yeah, I think I think there is a part of that, and I think Ukraine is very unique. Especially you mentioned Crimea. There is a large, uh, an enormously large concentration of ethnic Russians in Crimea, and, and I think that is an excuse for Putin to come in and say he wanted to to take that. And I think that Ukraine is a geopolitical asset. Uh, we talked about being the breadbasket, and we talk about the many ports uh, and access on the Black Sea. Uh, and I do think Putin wants to kind of get the, the old gang back together. I think he is limited. I think he is going after nations, that uh, old Soviet bloc republics, that have those concentrations of Russians. I think Ukraine has about 17% uh, of ethnic Russians in its borders, and I think of that 17%, and I can't remember the stats off the top of my head, but I want to say it was close to 85% were in the Crimea, on the Crimean Peninsula. Um, you know, we can't get Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia back without risking uh, a major conflict, a, a forced conflict, because we would have to go to war with Putin based upon our agreement in NATO. Uh, and I don't know if he's very interested in getting the the more Muslim-oriented old republics, such as we call them the stands, right? So I think what he is doing is I think Ukraine is very lucrative, and I think right now he is testing the limits of the world. Because remember, we just handed Putin the green uh, the keys to the store when we okayed the pipeline, right? So we tell Putin, yeah, go ahead, we're going to okay your pipeline. We're going to close the pipelines down in the United States, but you know what? For you, we're going to allow you to sell your energy to Europe. Uh, and I think he is also doing this to test Biden's resolve. I do not think you're going to see a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. I do not think they're going to march on Kiev. Uh, I, I think that would be bad optics, but if, I think he is going to go in and try to justify taking a chunk of Ukraine. And I think he's going to wait and see what happens with Biden, particularly in, in the world. Will Biden stand up to him or will Biden be like, well, you know, it wasn't that big of a chunk. It's a big country. Who cares if they lose, you know, 25 percent? You know, they still have 75 percent. Good for you, Ukraine. Uh, I think that's what they're waiting to see, because leaders like Putin know that they, they're going to know where the line is and they're going to try to move the line, you know, whether you like Donald Trump or not, I think Donald Trump had that aura of being somewhat crazy. You never knew what Donald Trump would do in response. So you didn't want to test him because, uh, you know, you didn't want to test what his response would be. Yeah, but but, but I, wait a minute, though. Putin certainly did so in the case of annexing Crimea. And, and other than a little bit of, of noise, 
Trump did absolutely nothing about it. So I, I wonder if there's a sense of, OK, well, we got Crimea under the last president. Let's see if we can just take the whole kit and caboodle under the current one and, and maybe feeling as if that, uh, you know, um, Biden is maybe not as much up to the job, so to speak, that that uh, the, the notion of attempting to push his luck even further and continue to draw the line uh, may indeed be exactly what's going on here, it, it, which raises a question. And I, I want to set it up and then we're going to go to break because I don't want to have to interrupt you. Joe, and and that raises this question. I see and I hear what you're saying in relationship to the large Russian population that resides in Ukraine. In fact, Ukraine's official language is Russian. But if we allow him to use the argument that, well, we ought to be allowed to annex the Ukraine in order to pull in all of our Russian people to Russia— why does it sound like the same excuse that Hitler used in the Sudetenland in 1938, and by the time everything was said and done there, Czechoslovakia no longer existed? Joe Murray is with us today. He's a best-selling author. He's a constitutional lawyer, writer, reporter. Got a new book out called Take Back Education, brand new, fresh, hot off the presses. You can get information about this book. It is a primer on what's going on in education, and most importantly, what we can do to save it. You can get information about the book if you go to uh, Amazon.com. You order it online. Take Back Education by Joe Murray. We'll um, see about <laughs> Putin wanting to take back the Ukraine as we continue our discussion right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to our conversation. Best-selling author, educator, constitutional lawyer Joe Murray is with us this evening. Joe's the author. His latest book, Take Back Education, available through Amazon.com. We're talking about Russia, NATO, the Ukraine, the United States, the Biden administration, the saber-rattling, although maybe saber-rattling is a bit of a mild definition. 100,000 troops amassed along the Russia-Ukrainian border is hardly a simple welcoming committee. And I have to wonder, Joe, if, as you're suggesting, part of the reasoning or maybe the excuse that's being used by Putin is, well, after all, you know, uh, Ukraine right next door, huge Russian-speaking, Russian blood population, maybe uh, maybe it would be uh, better for them to live as Russians as opposed to Ukrainians. And I'm reminded of the similar excuse used by Adolf Hitler in 1938 that, well, there was this large contingency of Germans that lived in the Sudetenland, and they were being abused. They were not being treated very nicely by the Czechoslovaks. So let's let's just annex the Sudetenland. And by the time all the annexation was done, of course, um, the totality of the um, uh, the region there, um, uh, Czechoslovakia, had entirely disappeared, and it wasn't long before huh, we found the entirety of almost all Europe disappearing and yeah. being gobbled up by Adolf Hitler. So is, is, is there partially something similar going on here? And if so, shouldn't this serve as a significant warning to the West that this guy, if he gets his way with the Ukraine, may not necessarily be through? I think there. I, I think that is a great question. I think there can be two potential distinctions. I think what we saw with Hitler, we saw the product of a horrible treaty at Versailles, which went into such a punitive measure to Germany that it deliberately 
basically ripped huge chunks of Germans away from Germany. And it was only a matter of time before those Germans who, you know, who in Poland and in France, and like you said, in Czechoslovakia, they had no attachment to that country. They were there not because of a history of being there, but because a punitive peace treaty put them there. So I think that was just a matter of time before somebody would have gone and got them back. When you're talking about Russia and Ukraine, you're talking about a history that goes back to the ninth century when a, a, a Slavic group actually moved a capital to Kiev and held it there for quite some time. Now, again, this is not to justify any type of behavior, but to give a historical context of how we're getting here and why we're here. So I do think that Russia and Ukraine have a very deep and twisted history that many Russians believe that Ukraine is rightfully part of their inheritance. Now, Ukrainians would disagree and say, no, thank you so much, we're our own unique people. And I think this is a continuation of the battle. These are historical battles that have gone back and forth well before the United States was even a gleam in the world's eye. So Putin is probably using, I will say probably, he is using that history to justify this behavior. And, Craig, it's not surprising that it was in February 20th of 2014 when he moved on Crimea. And I wouldn't be surprised if he moves on Crimea, uh, moves on Ukraine on the same day, February 20th. Mm. So, I mean, he, he loves to do that. He loves to be able to say, this is when I'm coming. It would not surprise me in the, in the, in the slightest. How well equipped, if at all, is Ukraine to repel any such invasion? And, I, you know, given how things yeah. went... In uh, in 2015, when or 2016, when they moved on um, the Crimea, I, I would imagine the capacity of the Ukraine, in and of itself, on its own to defend its own borders, is probably pretty limited. Yeah, I mean, look, it, you know, it, it's kind of asking you know the local high school football team to go up and play against the 49ers or the Rams. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it, it's They'll put up a fight, but they're going to be run over, and it's going to be bloody. And and remember, it's always great to have the home field advantage, and you can put up a resistance. But the Russian military power is far outweighing Ukraine's. And if I'm not mistaken, today Biden claimed that there would be no ground troops because, look, the United States cannot stomach a war, another war. We have been beaten down so much by, by these foreign wars that not have had a great uh, vital interest that we can't stomach one. And I'm not even saying that this is a vital interest, but I think any calls to send U.S. troops to Ukraine are going to be met with such skepticism. And Biden has so much. I mean, we're still fresh from the debacle in Afghanistan. As you, as you stated before, we have inflation that is going through the roof. We have, uh, we have a stock market that's free-falling. Uh, free we have all these things going on. You can't add another war on top of that, and especially a war with a nuclear-armed Russia. Um, this is how things get out of hand. So if Putin moves on Ukraine, I think he'll get it. Um, I, and, and this is maybe me being a, hopefully a, an optimistic historian, being that Ukraine has that kind of connection and a special tie with Russia, I would think that would be it. Uh, I would hope that would be it, being that we've had a good six, seven, eight years before Crimea. It wasn't like he took Crimea and moved on. 
Um, but you, you don't know in today's world, and I think this will be a test for Biden. What will the Biden administration do? And it's probably coming at a time when the Biden administration is trying to get a breather. <laughs> They're trying to hope something breaks in their favor, and, and right now nothing is. Yeah, I was going to say, at this point, that's, uh, th- that's a lot of wishful thinking, I'm afraid. And the timing on this as we head into midterm elections, uh, where folks, you know, granted, we're, we're, you know, nine months away, but, you know, in nine months, a lot can happen. And, uh, you know, there are things that can be done by the administration to try to address some of uh, the the uh, economic issues in this country. But, you know, a lot of it is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's it's a fool's notion that somehow the president can sign an executive order and, and, and demand that inflation go down to 2 percent again. It just doesn't work that way. So, you know, the 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 concern, I guess, here is that if if the administration does nothing, it gets accused of being weak. If it does something, it could potentially pull us right back into a military conflict with probably one of the last countries we want to be saber-rattling with, only second perhaps to, to communist China. And, and, and there again, let's face it, and you're as much of a history of a fan of history, Joe, as I am, our track record post-World War II is not a good one. I mean, we, no. we, yeah, we, we prevented the communist march from making it below the 38th parallel, um, and I'm still with MacArthur on that. I would have taken it all the way up to the top, but Truman had different opinions. And so, you know, yeah, we, we, we stopped the spread, but we also left a nation, a peninsula, badly divided, and the north half of the, of the peninsula suffering horrifically um, under the Kim administration or Kim regime to this very day. And then we rested for a few years, and then here we are in Vietnam. That didn't end well either. And I'm not suggesting that somehow American military might can't do its job, but we've just gone into circumstances and scenarios where so much of the deck was stacked against us. And, you know, Afghanistan is another great example of that. So we went in, we thought we were dealing with this big threat, as we did with Iraq. And at the end of the day, half of the reasons why we went turned out to be made up out of, uh, um, you know, uh, fables and whole cloth. And here we sit, Afghanistan, America's largest, longest running war in U.S. history. And what do we have to show for it? A big bill and a bunch of body bags. It's tragic, but it is what it is. And I just can't imagine this or any other administration, and, and maybe maybe Putin knows this better than we do. I just can't imagine this or any other administration standing up and saying, oh, no, you're not going to do that. And if you try to do that, we're going to smack you down. I just don't see it happening. No, and, and, I, and I don't either, because, look, you, we are not going to fight a war with Russia in Russia's backyard, uh, especially with the whole German, you know, maybe we're in, maybe we're out type mentality. <laughs> I think the Germans realize where they get their natural gas, and they're like, we're going to tip this one out, boys. Uh, we're not necessarily getting involved in this. So what you could have done, and I think it would have definitely turned the tables and definitely would have helped uh, put pressure on Putin, because one of the things he was clamoring about was the potential of NATO with Ukraine. If you would have said to Putin, NATO with Ukraine is off the table. You would have pulled some of the pulled some of the wind out of his sails. Now you know Putin's Putin is going to do what he wants to do, uh, but I think that would have definitely taken some of the credibility away from him. 
And you mentioned our military involvement, and I think you have a great synopsis of it, because at the end of the day, Craig, we are not an empire. We were never set out to be an empire. We were a republic. We are a republic. And the wars that we were engaged in post-World War II were wars that were being fought as if we were an empire. Now, after World War II, make no mistake, we were forced into that role. It wasn't something we, we, we strived to be, but we understood that we were the only country, the only line that stood between freedom and tyranny. And we fought that, and, and overall, the overall war, the Cold War, we won. And that was a great victory, but the problem is we never stopped operating. The military never stopped operating as, as if the Cold War was over. They just ramped up their efforts to increase the militarization and, and the global entanglements that Jefferson and, and Washington and Adams would have told us to cut 20 years ago. Well, and didn't the modern president, as I recall, didn't Ike Eisenhower, who of all the presidents probably the best qualified to uh, to opine on this topic, given the fact he spent not only eight years in the White House, but uh, uh, was arguably the greatest military commander in world history, certainly helped to save Europe. Um, and Ike Eisenhower, in his final speech heading out the door as he was about to turn the keys to the White House back over to Jack or over to Jack Kennedy, said, hey, watch out, the military-industrial complex is very complicated and has deep and and far-reaching tentacles. And, you know, I, I think our history arguably can prove that uh, his warnings then uh, were all correct. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if you see the trouble that we've been in, especially post-Cold uh, War, these have been unnecessary wars. They have been unnecessary wars, wars that have bled our treasure and they have bled our, our people. And, and we have to ask ourselves, what have we got with it? I mean, Afghanistan is a prime example. We invested all this blood and treasure into a country where we end it, we, we started, or I should say we ended where we started, with the Taliban in control. Only this time they have billions, if not trillions of dollars of our equipment at their disposal. Uh, we gave up an Air Force base that is right in China's backyard, the only maybe deterrent we could have had against their, where they're testing nuclear uh, we weapons and missiles. And, and, and you know what? I think the country is quick to pick on Biden. I try to do my best to be objective. Um, Biden has has a mess on his hands. Some of it's his own making. Some of it is not. Is not. Well, I think but that I situation think with Afghanistan, that there was never going to be any kind no. of orderly, prim and proper, hey, let's get together and have tea sometime withdrawal. I mean, it, there were risks involved there. It was a situation that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We should have never gotten involved with in the first place. Once we yeah. were there, the die had been cast. And, you know, I'm... I, there's been comment even from the previous administration about, well, we would have done it differently. Well, how so? I mean, I just I don't see any practical way that we were going to ever get out of that country, turn things over to them and suddenly see them all, uh, you know, come together and play nice, nice with the West. I just don't think that was ever going to happen. And, uh, you know, it, it it's an, another difficult scenario. This administration finds itself painted into a huge corner now. And I have to wonder, let's speculate on this after we come back after a quick time out, whether or not the timing of this, as we are nine, ten months away from a midterm election, whether or not some of the timing may be more to do with a certain midterm election and less to do with just, well, 
Russia feels like it needs more, you know, growing space like uh, Hitler did. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Best-selling author Joe Murray, his latest book, Take Back Education, although today we are discussing the uh, the sticky wicket, as the Brits would say, that we find ourselves in in relationship to the saber rattling going on. 100,000 troops, though, maybe that's bigger than a saber, and uh, that's going on there along the uh, Ukrainian-Russian border, and, uh, you know... Putin is a guy that uh, is certainly not going to intentionally allow himself to be embarrassed. So one way or another, he's going to get something out of this. The question is what and how much blood will be extracted in the process. We'll talk about that as our conversation with Joe Murray continues right after this. Do your pets have this? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back into the home stretch of our conversation with best-selling author Joe Murray. By the way, his new book, Take Back Education, available at Amazon.com. Uh, Joe, am I reading too much into this? Do I Maybe I'm just too distrustful of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> but but I got to believe, in addition to thinking about a little additional real estate, saving face, protecting his his interest by uh, preventing Ukraine from joining NATO, et cetera, et cetera. I've got to wonder, too, uh, if he's not looking at this and thinking, hmm, nine months before a midterm election. Hmm. You think that's that's at play here at all, or am I reading too much into this? You know, I don't know. I I think, to me, the more likely thing is, ooh, the Olympics are going to be going on at the same time. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't steal, and steal I don't, a little you know, thunder from Brother Chi. I got it, it, it exactly. And I, and I think because uh, you and I are both a veteran of politics and, and know that uh, you know, as with Crimea, he got away with it. And I think if he invades Ukraine, the world might wag its finger. Uh, but I don't think any nation in the world is 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 willing to stand up and and say, "Look, we're going to risk a major military escalation." Over Ukraine, I think you know. Ironically, I think that's part of the reason Biden has yet to uh, announce uh, or appoint an ambassador to Ukraine. Uh, I, we don't have one yet, so I don't think the world is willing to do that. And I think Putin knows that. Um, I, I think you're right. I think if he goes more, that's a definitely a, a different story. But I think, I think in about three or four months, if he does take Ukraine or a portion of Ukraine, I think we're talking about something else. Uh, I think we're we're talking about. Potentially immigration, inflation, uh, or, or who knows what's going on with COVID at that time. Um, so I, I think Putin is. I think he, he loves anniversaries. I think he knows it was February 20th when he invaded. February 20th is when the Olympic Games end. So uh, you know it, it might be just a little little push and a shove to China because Craig, if we're being honest, China is the biggest threat to Russia, not the United States and not Europe. I mean, China is down south. You know, if you go to the Ural Mountains and you head east, Russia is very old and very barren, but it's chock full of natural resources. If you go down to China, they're popping at the seams, and they look at all that Russian land up there in Siberia. And remember, that used to be their land. So if there's a natural enemy with Russia, uh, it's China. So I, I think that is that is going to be the future controversy down the line, is who's going to own all those natural resources uh, east of the Urals. Yeah, there was always a little bit of a sense of, of detente, at least from the foundation of communist China post-World War II in through the collapse of the Soviet Union in uh, 1990-91. 
Uh, so that 40-year period, they kind of tolerated each other, and yet they looked at each other with great uh, jaundice eye. And um, to, to come back full circle and get their comeuppance, I mean, anybody that's been a student of especially this, this current um, Chinese president knows that they are not just going to be content on running the biggest factory, the biggest country with the biggest population. They want a lot more than that. And if anybody thinks that they don't have designs on additional territorial, you know, just, just look at what's been going on over places like uh, the, the Straits. And there's islands with Japan that are in dispute and certainly uh, Taiwan. You know, <laughs> this is an empire with designs on not only maintaining the empire but growing the empire. And uh, what better way to do so than to look further east? So I, I think that you've got uh, you've got some good insights there, Joe, and uh, we appreciate so much you spending some time with us tonight to share those insights. Joe Murray, constitutional lawyer, reporter, best-selling author. You want to get some good insights as to what's going on in education, not only how we got here, but most importantly how we can salvage education. Then you're going to want to get a copy of his latest book, Take Back Education, just been released on Amazon.com, and you can go on there right now, do an Amazon search for Joe Murray or Take Back Education and order a copy for your own today. It's a a page-turner, to be sure. Joe Murray, we appreciate the time and the insights, and uh, look forward to visiting with you again real soon. Six o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.